0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Here We Go Again edition as we look ahead to Sunday's season opener in Seattle. And yes, I know, the White Snake song is Here I Go Again, but Here We Go Again fit the opening week theme. Coming up, approximately 21 minutes of Dave Lapham podcast gold. I am so lucky to work with the guy because there's nobody better in the NFL at covering a team. Lap is knowledgeable, he is smart, he is funny, and he is definitely one of the world's great storytellers. We'll hit all of the important topics going into the season opener. Every year in week one, Andy Dalton is kind enough to join me for a one-on-one interview. We'll discuss what it's like to play for a head coach who is only four and a half years older than he is. And I'll ask Andy to do something that he doesn't like to do. No, I didn't ask him to cuss. It's something else he doesn't like to do. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the scoop on the Seahawks from their longtime radio voice, former wide receiver Steve Rabel. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since Triple-A. No, not the top level of minor league baseball, although that's great too. I'm talking about the American Automobile Association. On Wednesday night, when I had a billion things to do, including putting together this podcast, my car wouldn't start in downtown Cincinnati. So I pulled the Triple-A card out of my wallet, called the trusty toll-free number, and it didn't take long for a gentleman named Marty to come to the rescue. It turned out I had a dead battery and Marty replaced it in no time. I have been a AAA member forever and I can't even count the number of times it's paid off. Now let's get to football. For the first time in 17 years, the Bengals will have a new head coach on Sunday as Zach Taylor makes his official debut. He's 36 years old, making Zach the second-youngest current head coach in the NFL behind his former boss, Sean McVay of the Rams, who is still only 33. For what it's worth, Paul Brown coached his first pro football game in Cleveland at the age of 37. It was actually the day before his 38th birthday. Dave Lapham played for Paul Brown, and this Sunday he begins his 34th year in the Bengals broadcast booth. We start this week's discussion... By looking at the makeup of the Bengals' 53-man roster.
1: Any surprises in your opinion? Not anything huge, Dan. I mean, I remember we were talking on a podcast and said, you know, based on what I'm seeing, 11 defensive linemen deserve to make the team and only four linebackers, and that's kind of the way it shook down. I'm not shocked by that, particularly as, as fewer times you have three linebackers on the field in today's NFL, 75 80% of the time, most teams are in three receiver formations or more, so... It doesn't really surprise me all that much with that configuration. Um, you know, John Jerry was the Michael George Johnson of this uh, football team. Agreed, you know, to go ahead and get Wave, come back, and then they put Duga on the IR, which IR recall they can do now after it's 53-man. So if they need a guy at tackle later in the season, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, Samaje Pirine, I think, is a very good pickup. It's the uh, sooner... Sooner uh, east, I guess I mean running back rooms the same as when they were in college. Mixon Anderson and Pirine Anderson rehabbing from the knee surgery obviously. But Samajay Pirine played all four special teams for the Redskins. So Darren Simmons is happy about that, that he's gonna have, you know, an option there. I'm not sure how much of the offense Pirine will have, you know, a grasp of, but special teams wise, I think he's gonna be a factor in that opening day, you know, as the third running back for sure. Let's talk about the Bengals offense.
0: They hired Zach Taylor in large part for his ability to bring the Rams offense to Cincinnati. During the preseason, they kept it extremely vanilla. How much different
1: is it going to be on Sunday? I think it'll be a lot different. I think there'll be you know tweaks to formations, tweaks to blocking patterns. I didn't see very sophisticated blocking patterns up front in the run game or protection-wise, so I think they've kept a lot close to the vest, which is really smart to do. I remember after the... uh, uh, the first preseason game, uh, Coach Anarumo told me that Andy Reid came up and said, you guys are a pain in the neck to try to prepare for. We didn't know what to look at. We look at Giants. We look at Dolphins. What are we going to look at? And then you didn't do anything. So that's their advantage. Um, it's going to be the same thing for Pete Carroll offensively. What does he look at with Zach? Does he does he look at the Dolphins? Does he look at the Rams? Obviously, there's going to be a lot of Rams influence, but he's got other influences along the way. Same with Lou Anarumo. You know, it's like, don't know exactly what they're going to do until they they spring it and this is the only time they'll have that advantage that there's no tape on them so they did a pretty good job of keeping things under wraps the other i guess the flip side to that coin is the only time they've been working on it so far and they've got this week of practice but is in walkthroughs when nobody's around to see what's going on so they really haven't gone and you know practiced it against anybody so will they be in sync will they be you know in cohesion will they be meshed up Because sometimes if you put too much in, you know, you can hurt yourself. So there's that delicate balance, you know. How cute do you want to be? And, uh, you know, can it hurt us more than it fools them? And ultimately, you just got to go out like Paul Brown said. You know, we can trick them. I get tired of tricking them. Just go out and block and tackle people, will you? Go win a football game. That's what it boils
0: down to. Lap over the last two years with Zach Taylor on the Rams coaching staff, Todd Gurley averaged nearly 1,300 yards rushing, 700 yards receiving, and 20 touchdowns those were his averages not his two-year totals do you expect
1: Joe Mixon to approach those numbers in Zach Taylor's offense I think more importantly Joe expects it I do and I think Joe does I mean the thing that he talked about just the other day not only running football you know Zach's put an emphasis on that obviously but he likes how Zach utilizes the running backs out of the backfield I mean that's a that's a a very big characteristic and trait that Joe has—it's very favorable. I mean, he catches the ball. You get him the ball in space. When that big freight train gets moving, he's gonna—he's gonna make some people miss. He's gonna get yards after catch. So, it would not shock me to have him with a thousand yards rushing and two thousand, you know, scrimmage yards when you throw in the, the, uh, the yards passing. It would—it would not stun me whatsoever. And uh, you know, I mean, he—he scored a bunch of touchdowns last year. I think he had eight rushing touchdowns last year. So, I mean, if he—if he, if he 15 to 20 it would be no shock to me whatsoever to see Joe Mixon put up those kind of numbers. I'm telling you, though, the, uh, <laughs> the kind of he- se- secret weapon, hidden weapon as such, Giovanni Bernard. In this offense, watch out for Giovanni Bernard. And then the recently acquired Samaje Pirine, all 243 pounds of him, he's the thunder. <laughs> and now uh, you got a couple of lightning strikes in Bernard and Mixon.
0: If I had predicted at the start of training camp that Jake Dolagala
1: would make the 53-man roster, what would you have said? I would have said that uh, he's going to have to light it up. You know, in in the uh, exhibition games, we saw him though. Um, you know, right at the end of of, of workouts, uh, the mandatory minicamp, do a job out there. And you, watching him spin the football, it's like, man, looking at this guy with his measurables, and I'm talking about his height at six seven and 240 pounds. And be able to spin the ball like he did. It's like, hey, you got something to work with there, you know, potentially. But you wouldn't think, oh, this guy is going to make such a statement. They're going to have to keep three quarterbacks. He's going to make the 53-man roster and be deactivated. Um, but he he did it, and you know, credit to him. The one thing, though, that, that he definitely has to work on, and I think it was part of, the, part of what he was doing was trying to impress the coaches and the organization that he should make the team because of his arm. Everything was going down the field. I mean, Charlie checked down. He was not. He was the opposite of that. He had Ellis a couple of times in that last game against the Colts where one of them was a touchdown, another one was – a big gain Uh, he was like five yards open catching yards after catch would have been a big gain and he was trying to you know get it to the second and third level down the football field showing off that arm strength time and time again so that was his mindset so I think now that he's made it he has to work on all the things necessary to be a complete quarterback in the National Football League and don't try to force things if you try to force things against you know and guys that are starting in the National Football League as much as you did against guys he was playing against in the second half, fourth quarter of those football games, it would be a different story, I think.
0: Lap, the Bengals have tried to fix the offensive line. They've used their number one draft pick each of the last two drafts on an offensive lineman, and unfortunately, neither one of those guys will be in the starting lineup on Sunday. Is the line better or worse
1: than a year ago? You know, I, I I think it's looking at it, it's pretty much the same. You know, uh, I do think Miller is an upgrade at the right guard position. I mean, I think that 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 kid is a, is a very very consistent performer. You got to give Trey Hopkins a big tip of the cap, you know, for winning the job at the center position. And Michael Jordan's an unknown, but he has got huge upside potential. I mean, I guess that's why it's hard to put a mark on it with with him in particular because his good is unbelievably good. He's so long and so powerful, and his his bad can be. Bothersome though, because he's you know he's young and hopefully he won't the bad won't continue you know it's maybe a one-time thing and, and and he works through it and gets over it, you know the left tackle position is a big question mark you know Cordy Glenn how much will he be able to play? Uh, you can't count on him for 16 games. He hasn't been there for 16 games, even in the opener. If if, if he's able to uh to suit up in the opener, I, I don't know if I count on him for 60 minutes. You know I, I got to get Andre Smith ready to play the tackle position so you know that i I get in my opinion hopefully this group the offensive lines that i played on that were the better offensive lines the sum total of the offensive line was better than the individual parts except for anthony munoz (laughs) but i mean usually the sum total was was a a better component than each guy when you evaluate each guy because you know The offensive line is the only – it's like a bunch of 300-pound June Taylor dancers. You have to be in total concert. You have to be helping each other. You have to be doing the same thing and understand everybody has to be on the exact same page. So we'll see if this offensive line is that type of offensive line. And it could be. It could be. I don't think – Jimmy Turner is not doing a whole bunch that is going to confuse these guys. Now, they didn't show anything in the preseason. And they'll show more, obviously, against the Seahawks in terms of – Blocking configurations and all that sort of thing. But I don't think it's going to be rocket science. I really don't. I think he's going to keep it pretty simple and just let guys go out and execute and, uh, and, and see what they can put together.
0: What new assistant coach really caught your eye in training camp?
1: Oh, a bunch of them did. I think, you know, Jim Turner caught my eye with, uh, with the slim, simplistic approach that he was taking to it all. Um, and he's a rep guy. And, you know, over and over and over and over again, the same things. And I remember with Jimmy McNally. It started with our stance every practice. Then we did the duck walk. Then we did, you know, the other, other drills. And the last practice for the Super Bowl started with our stance. you got to work on your stance every practice, guys. You know, shift your weight. Don't tip uh, that you're shifting your weight, but get get all your weight in the left side of your body so your right side is freed up. Shift it back to the right side of your body so your left side's freed up. And don't tip it by how much pressure you're putting on your hand, working on all the – from the stance all the way through, exact same thing every single day. And uh, and Jimmy, Jimmy Turner – Funny, it's two Jimmys, Jimmy McNally and Jimmy Turner. Jimmy Turner's doing the same type of thing with these guys, the repetition of it, and um, the targets are simple. Everything fits, so I've been impressed with him, how he's working with that offensive line. James Casey, been impressed with that guy. I think he's a hell of a tight end coach. And in talking to the tight ends, they said that that he not only tells you what to do, he tells you what to avoid because he's been on the field. Don't think he can do this. Don't think he can take this shortcut don't don't assume anything here. I mean, he's he's been there, done that, and so the tight ends have had uh, consecutive coaches that have played in the National Football League for a duration. There's there's something you know significant there. I mean, I could go down the list, and that, that's I think Zach Taylor took his time and put together a, a staff that is really really good teachers, and uh, they, they can all all get their points across, and they do it with enthusiasm excitement. Um, and, and the guys are buying into it. I think, I think every player is buying what the coaching staff is selling. I really do.
0: Last year, the Bengals allowed nearly 414 yards a game, most in franchise history, ranked last in the NFL. They gave up 28.4 points a game. Only two teams were worse. The Raiders and the Buccaneers. Will the defense be significantly better in your opinion? And if so, why?
1: Yeah, it's the same. It's the same scenario. Um, The strength of the teams the defensive line kept 11 of them i mean that's that's pretty impressive to keep 11 defensive linemen it was meritocracy just like everything um you know damian willis gets the the starting x position because he was the best player didn't matter so keep 11 defensive linemen four linebackers because 11 defensive linemen played better than the other linebackers that they let go so you know it's it's like players appreciate if you go out there and you put tape You know good tape on 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 your resume it should benefit you and i i think they respect and appreciate you know the fact that they've structured the uh the team the way they have in today's football you know how many times do you use three linebackers that's the concern defensive line unbelievable back end solid linebacker big question marks so we've seen it three years now linebackers have been picked on they've been isolated and picked on over and over and over again in in today's NFL, with teams going 80 percent, three receivers or more, you know you go nickel and dime, no more than two linebackers potentially, so it fits. I mean, and, and and the thing that impresses me about the defensive lineman, Dan, you have multiple guys that can do multiple things. Carl Lawson can be like a, uh, like Ross Brown with us and others over the years. He can rush or drop. Hubbard has shown he can rush. Or drop Willis has shown he can rush or drop. I mean, they have multiple guys that they can do multiple things with on their defensive line to try to confuse pass protections assignments. Do I do I count him as a linebacker? Or do I count him as a defensive lineman? What do I count him as in our protection? You know, all those kind of things. Offensive linemen have to start to think about. So I think, I think that this group potentially, um, you know, could hopefully play better. And the biggest reason is Lou Anne His whole scenario has been eliminate gray area black and white i'm simplifying it's like too much gray area, too much thinking and and i think that he's done a good job of that and i think that's going to show up um and i think it's going to be the defense is going to be as good as their front and their back and allows it to be
0: lap the bengals open the season at century link field in seattle which has twice held the guinness world record for loudest crowd roar at an outdoor stadium we hear about that all the time, but take us to the line of scrimmage. What does that mean when you're playing?
1: It means, uh, it means a bunch. There's no question about it. I mean, particularly if you're, in a, if you're in a close football game, fourth quarter of a close football game, third and seven, you have to convert. You're, you're, you're down four points. You have to keep a drive going, and it's a din. I mean, you can't hear a thing. If you look at your teammate, you can see his mouth move, but you can't hear one word, and they're screaming. You know, they're, they're screaming at the top of their lungs, and it just looks like they're mimes. I mean, there's nothing happening. So it, it it is disconcerting to an offensive lineman for sure. Your only advantage is being able to hear the snap count and move on the snap count because the defensive lineman doesn't know what the snap count is. When you have to give up that advantage and look and kind of move when the ball moves, um, that your only advantage is taken away. So what the Bengals have done a big-time job on, and it started even during – way back in OTAs a silent snap count cuz they know they've had the Seahawks for an opener for a long time and they've been working on it in the meeting rooms on the field in the locker room this silent snap count and there's a couple of different triggers they can use and it's it's pretty cool what they're what they're going to try to do and I I'm, I'm thinking they may draw Seattle offside how big would that be if they draw the Seahawks offsides out there utilizing a, a silent snap count to their advantage that would be a, that would be bigger than big time <laughs>
0: The Seahawks were number one in the NFL in running the ball last year. They averaged 160 yards a game. The Bengals are 28th in stopping the run. They gave up 138. Is that the biggest key
1: on Sunday? It is. You know, and Dan, you look at it, um, <laughs> there are only five teams in the NFL that threw the ball last year less than 500 times. And uh, Buffalo's one of them. Seattle's another. Miami's another. Arizona's another. Bengals play all of them. And then Tennessee is the fifth. So all those teams really emphasize the running game, and you know the Bengals play all those all those teams. Only two teams in the NFL ran the uh, ball more than five hundred times, and that's uh Baltimore and Seattle. So you play Baltimore twice, you play Seattle. They both emphasize the run. So looking at these opponents, Arizona. With this new quarterback, will they still emphasize the run? I think so. With a rookie quarterback, you want to make sure you get the running game on. Well, he may be a weapon in the running game. And I don't know how much he's so small, but Miami's going to try to still pound it. You know, Seattle's obviously going to. Buffalo's obviously going to. The Bengals have to be able to stop the run, and they have to be able to run the ball themselves. They have to, when they're playing all these teams and emphasize the running game to the extent that they had last year and probably will this year, you have to be able to – not get dominated in the running game and be one-dimensional. You have to be able to be balanced and, I mean, try to outrush some of these people, you know, in terms of attempts and efficiency and see where it takes you.
0: Russell Wilson is now the highest paid player in the NFL. Average salary, $35 million a year. He's obviously among the best scramblers in the league, but Seattle gave up 51 sacks last year. Could this be a big day for the Bengals' pass rush?
1: Yeah, I think think – you know, Russell Wilson, because of his scrambling ability like you described, he thinks that you can't ever get him on the ground. So he, he is deeper in the shotgun than any other quarterback in the NFL because he's diminu- diminutive with the height factor. So he wants to get separation from the line of scrimmage so he can see better. So he's got a deeper shotgun snap acceptance of the football, and he'll run around. He'll run around back there and he'll, he'll create and he'll, he'll do all, all of his things that way. Um, so he does get trapped, and once once you know once a certain amount of time has taken is taken place on the clock, at that point you, as an offensive lineman you're like okay okay man I you're on your own because you don't know where he's going to run you don't know how he's going to you know address the rest of the play, and you know the unscripted unscripted plays is where Russell Wilson sometimes excels sometimes his unscripted plays end up being better than the play that was called, but. Sometimes he's going to get trapped, too. So, I mean, if he's getting sacked in 3.5 seconds, that's on the O-line. But if he's running around for 10 seconds back there and gets, gets trapped, that's, that's not on the O-line.
0: Seattle still has the reputation of being great on defense, but the Legion of Boom era is officially over. It ended in Week 4 last year when Earl Thomas broke his leg and then flipped off Pete Carroll as he was taken off the field on a cart. Thomas is in Baltimore now. How good is Seattle's defense these days, and how will it challenge the Bengals on Sunday?
1: I, I think it's good. You know, Seattle runs their stuff. You know, Seattle, Pete Carroll and the defensive coaches aren't saying, eh, you know, I, they are to an extent. But it's like, you know, you know what, no matter what the Bengals end up deciding to do, we're going to play Seattle Seahawks defense. We are going to do our stuff. And they, they do that as well as anybody. No matter what you're trying to do against them, they're going to do their thing. And the other thing they do is retool as well as anybody. And Jadavian Clowney is the most recent example of it. This guy, when you add tackles for loss and sacks together, he's number one in the NFL the last few years. His tackle for loss is off the charts. So everybody talks about him as an edge pass rusher, and he's good. But man, nobody talks about how good he is disrupting the run. And those we've talked about it all the time. You know, the, court, the quarterback sacks are so sexy, you know. It's like quarterback steps up in the pocket and he's a sack for a, t- a two-yard loss. And everybody goes, oh, that's great. A running back is hit for a two-yard loss. And he's like, yeah, you know, second and 12. I mean, it's the same deal. It's the same situation that you're stressing the offense with and the defense performing. So Jadavian Clowney is disruptor. <laughs> and, you know, he's going back to a 4-3 defense, which he was in college. He was a 4-3 defensive end. Well, he's a, he was in a three-man package down there in Houston. And uh, Romeo Cornell did a great job of putting him in a two-point stance, putting him in the A gap, and he'd get a lot of a lot of uh, disruption in the A gap from two-point two-point outside. He'd, he'd line him up, say, find the fish, find the weakest spot in the offensive line, go take advantage of it out of a two-point stance, you know. And um, so I don't think I don't know if Seattle's going to do that. That's not Seattle's thing. Seattle, I think, will have him as a as a right defensive end going against whoever our left tackle is in that football game. And that's a matchup that you're going to have to watch. The other thing that is, is a, a factor in that defense h- higher than the average bear, Bobby Wagner's a stud. Bobby Wagner, in my opinion, is the best linebacker in the NFL because I mean, he, he's, he's equally effective against the runner of the pass. His, he can run laterally. He'll come downhill and hit you. He had 138 tackles for him last year, led them in tackles. He had a 98-yard interception return for a touchdown. I mean, the dude's a playmaker, so, you know, and they try to keep him clean with those four down linemen. So, yeah, there's still, there's still plenty to worry about. I don't think the back end is anywhere near as good as it was in the Legion of Boom and Doom. <laughs> but uh, they're, you know, I think the front seven is still so good that it, it kind of, uh, you know, puts some makeup on the on the blemish of the back end of that, uh, of that defense a little bit.
0: When you say "go find the fish," that's an expression for finding the weak link Correct. on the other team's
1: line. But we got
0: to do that literally this weekend. Going to Seattle, we got to go find some good fish.
1: No, no question. I mean, I want to. Last time I was up there, I was watching him throw the. I mean, the guy that catches the fish, he's strong, man. Because those <laughs> fish are slimy now. This dude has got. He must have more stickum on than Daniel Bremwood's had. You know, I mean, for him to just pluck the fish like he does, that's pretty impressive. i mean, that guy. He knows what he's doing. Our broadcast on the Bengals radio network
0: this Sunday begins at 2 30 Eastern and my fun facts interview on the pregame show will be with Bengals president Mike Brown. It is always a great conversation. The Bengals have not played in Seattle since 2011 the seventh game of Andy Dalton's rookie year that day the red rifle led the Bengals to a 34 12 win part of a five game winning streak that season that helped Cincinnati make the playoffs. Andy's only other game against the Seahawks was a 27-24 overtime win in 2015 that saw the Bengals rally from a 17-point deficit in the fourth quarter. Dalton will try to make it 3-0 against Seattle on Sunday as he plays his first NFL game for a head coach other than Marvin Lewis. I talked to Andy about Zach Taylor and much more. Do you remember your initial reaction when you learned that the Rams young quarterbacks coach was going to be your new head coach?
2: I do. I was excited, you know, seeing rumors of different things that was going to happen, but, you know, for me to, it's my first time in my career to have an offensive coach and to know the background of Zach, where he's been, and, uh, you know, just to have him that played the quarterback position everything, I, I was really excited about it. It seems to me you two guys have a lot in common. You're only
0: four and a half years apart in age. He was a highly successful quarterback, although his career ended at Nebraska. You're devoted family men. You both have kind of even keeled personalities. Did all of that stuff help you guys connect right off the bat?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think we are similar in the way we just kind of carry ourselves and the way we live our life. And so it makes it easy to connect with people like that. And so. Yeah, I mean, it's been great ever since he's been here. It's it's been fun to get to know him more. And, um, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to uh, him being here for a long time. We're visiting with
0: Andy Dalton. You've had four offensive coordinators in your first eight seasons. Brian Callahan makes it five, and we just assume as fans that it's Andy. He'll be able to handle that. He's got such a great grasp of the X's and O's, but how difficult is it, and what's the most challenging part?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's you're doing similar stuff. I mean, offense, It's like I said, it's a copycat league, and so um, there's similar things that I've done throughout my career. It's just going to be called completely different, and to have three different terminologies in, in three years—I mean, it's just okay. You're interpreting. Okay, this is what I used to call it. This is what I'm calling it now, and just getting ready for it. But um, yeah, it's it's fun to learn a new offense. Uh, obviously, I'd like to be in a system longer than sure. <laughs> than just just one year. But um, no, it, it's been good. No sane person would suggest that A.J. Green's
0: injury was a good thing for the team. But did it accelerate the progress of some of the other receivers?
2: Yeah, obviously, if, you, know, you never want an injury to happen, but it allowed other guys to get reps that they wouldn't have gotten. So when A.J. comes back, it will be, uh, you know, we'll be that much farther ahead because these guys have, will have played a lot. And so I definitely think that it's helped the development of some of these guys.
0: You were drafted one year before Andrew Luck. What was your reaction to him retiring at the age of 29?
2: You know, it's Andrew's obviously been through a lot with all the injuries that he's had. And at the end of the day, if you're not finding joy in, in the game of football, which I think is what he was saying, it's like he wasn't able to be himself. He wasn't able to live the life that he wanted to live. And so you know I'm happy for him that he's had that clarity and he's had that peace with with the decision obviously it's going to be different not having him as the, the quarterback for the for the Colts have played against each other for a long time obviously every preseason we we would end against each other and then played against him throughout the years but um, you know, I'm just happy for him that he's got that piece with everything
0: gonna ask you to do something you don't like to do brag about yourself you've been a starting quarterback in the NFL for eight years three-time pro bowler. By the end of this year, you'll probably have the franchise record for completions. What are you proudest of so far?
2: Yeah, I think anytime you can stay in one place for a long time, I think that's that's one thing. We've really established ourselves in Cincinnati from the time that we got here, and so this is a place that we wanted to be, and we wanted to be here for a long time. So, I think first and foremost to be able to you know have success enough to where you know you're going to be in the city of Cincinnati, I think that's that's one thing. There's been a lot of accomplishments that that uh, have gone on since I've been here. Obviously, like you said, the three the three Pro Bowls and different things, but. Um, yeah, I think just the longevity of a career. I mean, going into year nine now, you know, I want to keep playing for, for a while. So, uh, you know, hopefully we're we're kind of in the middle stages of my career. A couple of questions
0: about Seattle. They had two double-digit sack guys last year. They traded Frank Clark. Jaron Reed is suspended. I thought maybe you catch them at a good time when their pass rush isn't going to be great. And then last weekend they get Jadevian Clowney. How does that impact you going into week one?
2: Yeah, he's a disruptive player, and you know, I had seen rumors about maybe Seattle trying to go after him, and then obviously it actually happened. Um, it's just a guy that we have to prepare for. We have to know where he's at. He's so good. He's able to do things and, um, and make plays that not a lot of guys can make. So for us, we just got to know where he's at.
0: What makes Bobby Wagner so unique?
2: he's got instincts he understands their defense really well he's obviously been in that system for a long time he uh, is athletic he, he, he really can do it all he can play the run he can recover um, you know get in the pass lanes and all that kind of stuff but I think it's just his knowledge of the game and knowledge of their system uh, make him the player that, that he is
0: last question do you like being an underdog
2: you know I feel like uh, I've been an underdog from a lot of my career and so um, you no, know, it's one of those things you, you want to prove people wrong when uh, you're not getting any attention, any of that stuff. But uh, for us, we're just worried about our, you know, this one getting getting a win versus Seattle, and uh, we'll put ourselves in a good position moving forward.
0: My first year as the announcer was your first year as the quarterback. Best of luck in year number nine, and thank you for all you and JJ have done for needy families in our community. Yeah, appreciate it. Andy could be going into Sunday's game without Cordy Glenn at left tackle. Glenn is still in concussion protocol, although Cordy was on the rehab field on Wednesday, which is the first step toward returning to action. If he can't play in Seattle, Andre Smith will take his place. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment, and this week, Lapp and I had the chance to visit with Seahawks radio voice Steve Rabel a former wide receiver for the team. We started by asking Steve to discuss the Seahawks' biggest storylines during training camp leading up to Game 1.
3: The biggest one, of course, is uh, the one on uh, just the other day, the trade for Jadeveon G- Clowney. You know, a few of us kind of speculated on, and there were people talking about it, but um, we just we, we didn't believe that it would really come to pass only because, you know, the cost was going to be fairly high, and, and you know... That late, were you were you ready, prepared to take on somebody like Clowney uh, at that point in the season? Well, now we find out that that uh, John Schneider actually started to make contact back before the draft, just to touch base on it. So, what they did in one fell swoop is, you know, I've been saying all through training camp, how are they going to replace the the production of Frank Clark, 14 sacks counting the playoffs last year? How are you going to replace that? Well, they just did. Zicky Ons is healthy. And he's a career 9, 10, 11 sack guy every year, every season. He's healthy, and now you get Clowney, who's got what career twenty nine or thirty sacks in just uh, three, four seasons. So uh, I think we I think we've taken care of that part of the equation, and that now frees us up to do other things on defense instead of trying to trying to game plan how you're going to put pressure with guys that you know are just are just guys. They're not Pro Bowlers like these two.
1: And the thing about Clowney that uh, a lot of people don't realize is his tackles for loss. I mean, when he sets the edge, it's it's a tackle for loss a lot of times. He's one of four guys in the NFL that have over 50 tackles for loss and over 20 sacks uh, since uh, 2016. So this guy sets the edge in the in the running game and will be an unbelievable edge rusher. And you, you couple him with Anza, who's you know going to have his... First appearance. That's a that's a pretty good bookend, and then in the middle you put Bobby Wagner. Man, that's a Bermuda Triangle potentially defensively.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting, Lap, How this defense has changed from the Legion of Boom just a couple of years ago, focused so much as it was on the secondary, and rightly so. Um, you know, three out of four of the guys were Pro Bowlers back there. Uh, two of them, almost certainly, maybe three, are going to end up in the ring of honor. Earl kind of might have fingered his way out of the, out of that list, uh, but that's the that's <laughs> story. Uh, but, you know, the, the move now is back toward the middle of the field, and we've got this great trio of linebackers, veteran guys, and Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright and Michael Kendricks, and some young guys behind them. They went specifically in the draft looking for who are the next guys who are going to step up when these guys are finally done playing. And they went and found those guys, too. So uh, the defense has really kind of shifted a little bit. But the real key now is those. Let's not forget the best down defensive lineman we had all last season. And, in fact, the last couple of years, Jaron Reed is not going to play the first six weeks. He's been suspended by the league, uh, very questionable. uh, But he is a guy who really – he had 10 sacks last year. He's like Geno Atkins. I mean, he can make things happen from that inside position. So uh, when he comes back, and then Puna Ford, the guy who everybody was talking about at the end of training camp last year, has solidified himself at maybe 5'11 uh, and 300 pounds, and he's like trying to move a Buick uh, in the middle of the line. He, He is a good one, too. So I'm really excited about our defense.
0: We are talking to the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Let's turn to offense for a second. How does rookie receiver D.K. Metcalf look? And I don't mean with his shirt off.
3: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it, the, those guys when I was playing were defensive ends. And now he's a wide receiver, for heaven's sake. He, he's, he's an unbelievable physical specimen. He's also a really smart, humble kid, and uh, and all he wants to do is get better and learn. And that's what he's done all during training camp until he kind of injured his knee a little bit and had to undergo a procedure. Uh, nobody's really said what it was but kind of a, a clean-out procedure in his knee about 14 days ago, two weeks ago, and Pete says he's very likely going to be ready to play on Sunday. Which is a big deal. Now he might not, he won't play every snap on offense and that's probably a good thing. But slowly get him in there, get him some playing time. He's listed as the starter on the depth chart, but I got a feeling that uh, Jerome Brown will probably start opposite Tyler Lockett. Or if they start three wide receivers, then you might put uh, DK in there. But he's been, he's been something and uh, he can get downfield. Uh, he, he actually runs routes better than anybody expected. Uh, you know, we worked with Jerry Sullivan, uh, the former coach at, uh, at Arizona. Uh, on running pass routes, you know, breaking down, getting out of his routes, but getting his head around. And he's much better at that than I think any of us thought he was going to be. And we all know he can run. He's a 4'3 guy downfield at 6'4 and 220 pounds and 1.5% body fat. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine.
1: <laughs> I get 1% body fat in my little finger. But, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> it, really, it really is. But, so, the thing that I realized that the Seahawks, you know, were established in that ground game, obviously, 160 yards a game last year, led the league, uh, fifth in the league, four-point to carry. But when I looked at numbers, they ran the ball, second most in the NFL behind Baltimore, who when they put Jackson at quarterback, they were pounding the ball. But those are the only two teams in the NFL that ran it over 500 times, uh, you know, for the season. They are dead last in pass attempts. Second in the league in, in uh, rushes. Dead last in past attempts. And with that said, Russell Wilson had the best year he's ever had. I guess I guess less was more for him with that exactly. running game so established.
3: Yeah, exactly. It, what it meant was he was so effective. 35 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. That ratio right. in of itself is great if you're throwing the ball, you know, three, four, five hundred times. He's not. Right. Uh, and he also didn't run as much as he has in the past. Two straight weeks, he almost got his leg taken off. Some guys would have been on IR, and yet he, he's amazingly tough. He really operates well in this offense. He operates well. He loves handing the ball to uh, to uh, Chris uh, in the backfield. Uh, You've got uh, um, uh, Procise, who is just coming back, kind of really starting to look like he's he's the player we thought he was when they drafted him in the third round. But this is this is a good offense and you know where it starts, Slap, and and everybody will say this who's ever been a part of football, it starts up front. And finally we have an experienced, veteran, solid group of guys returning and they all understand the system. They're led by Dwayne Brown on the left end, left tackle side and uh, I think they're just as good as any offensive line in the game right
0: now. couple more questions for Seahawks Voice. Steve Rabel, I've got a 13-year-old son, Steve. Russell Wilson is his favorite player in the NFL, even though his dad works for the Bengals. He's not <laughs> allowed to wear his number 3 Seahawks jersey this weekend. So what I'm going to say will be heresy to my own son, but I want to ask this question. He was sacked 51 times last year. We see him run around and make big plays when he buys extra time. But are there... Not just times, but numerous times where Russell Wilson holds on to it too long.
3: Yeah, there are some of those times. And it's and it comes strictly from a guy trying to make a play. I mean, it comes from a guy who's so confident in his own ability. Uh, it also came at times when it was a, jail ba- a jailbreak pass rush. And, you know, there are times when our right tackle, Jermaine Fetty, can be had fast pass rushers. Tough guys outside uh, make it difficult on him. He's not got the best feet in the world. So, at times, Russ had to just, as soon as he got the ball, turn and pull away. Uh, and it also came when uh, guys missed blocks, running backs missed blocks. You know, we, we the tight ends maybe stay in to, for max protection and miss the block on a blitzing linebacker. You know, those kind of things happen, too. But Russ will tell you that probably seven or eight times out of ten, When he makes that wheel route out of the backfield, something good is going to happen. His receivers know where he's going. They practice it every single day. That, okay, he's wheeling out. Here's where I need to be. There's where you need to be. Here's how we need to get separation so Russ has people to throw to. And then you also have that option, his great ability to run. This preseason, he did a great job getting out of bounds, protecting himself. He slid down a couple of times. and guys went flying over him. It was preseason after all. And they might take more shots, obviously, as the season starts. But most of the time, he didn't wheel out and get us in trouble in third and long situations. It was always, you know, it might have been first or second down. Third down, when they knew they had to convert, you didn't see nearly as much of that.
1: Hmm. You know, I think when I watch him on tape, he, more than any quarterback I think in the league, does the greatest job of putting players between a rock and a hard place they can't guess right he's on the edge linebacker do i uh, drop coverage come after him do i stay back in coverage he's going to tuck it and go he seems to leverage rec- uh defensive backs with receivers the same way he has them so many times between a rock and a hard place and a receiver that he does that with as well as any is locket i mean locket last year almost 17 yards a catch and over 19 yards a catch on third down, four touchdown catches on third down. He is definitely his deep ball guy, isn't
3: he? He really is. And, you know, it is one of the big keys of this team. Uh, you, you know, we talked about how much they run the ball, and then they're going to run it again this time. Uh, Carson is going to get the ball 25 times a game. Penny is going to get his share of runs. But what makes this offense really go, and then, you know, teams are not dumb. They They can see film. They understand it. But you keep pounding the football, and guys keep coming up and playing a little bit closer to the line, a little bit closer. And then you have the run-pass option, and, and, uh, and uh, Russell rolls out. And you watch Tyler Lockett, and he has the greatest ability to cross the field and get into the yeah. open area on the far side of the field on a deep sail route, and Russell can put that ball yeah. on the money. did it several times in preseason. We saw it a bunch last year. We are yeah. one of the best teams in the league at explosive plays and they come specifically off of what was perhaps a short pass route or a run-pass option, and Russell is able to find his guy downfield because exactly what you said. You put the defense in such a bind. Should they come up? Should they drop back? And if they're all not on the same page, there's generally a big open spot in there someplace, and Russell has the, has the vision to find it.
0: Here in Cincinnati, we're mourning the final month of Marty Brenneman's broadcasting career, and of course, Marty's signature call – is, and this one belongs to the Reds. Well, Steve Rabel's signature call when the Seahawks do something spectacular is, holy catfish! Hopefully, you'll have to save that for week two. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback's been great. And five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. Thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.